Getting paid has become dramatically more complex for growing software companies. You've got to manage different currencies, new payment methods, changing regulations, tax regimes, failed payments and fraud. Payment stacks built piece by piece grow unruly for SaaS companies to waste time and money on updates and integrations. Paddle is the only complete payments infrastructure for SaaS companies. Paddle handles all of your payment processing, tax collection and compliance, invoicing, subscription management, renewals, reporting and fraud protection globally. With Paddle, you'll grow faster and enjoy the journey more. Visit paddle.com to find out more. Once you get to a certain size of an organization, you start to realize that the things that you do yourself, your day-to-day tasks, have uh, an almost um, immaterial um, impact in comparison to what you can do if you share and support the organization. You know, there's much, you know, it's that many hands make light work type strategy, but you've always got that head thing in your mind that if I do it myself, I'll do it really well. Or, you know, if I do it now, it's kind of quick and I can get it done. Or, hey, I've had this really cool idea. I'm going to go chase it down myself because you've kind of got that founder, that founder approach where you think I could probably build this thing in a matter of minutes. But the reality is that if you put that to your team, then you both support your team and you also get it done a lot quicker than you probably think in your head that you can do it yourself. And it's going to be much more product, you know, and, and, and company, you know, and, and, and customer ready if you don't try and do it yourself. Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution show, uh, Oliver Pinson Roxburgh, uh, um, CEO of Defense.com and Bulletproof. Uh, welcome, Oliver. Uh, thanks for having me, Alex. Yeah, good to good to have you on the show. I know we've spoken a few times. I was just saying, like before, obviously, like through the SaaS founder membership, uh, uh, which you're a, a member of. Uh, but actually, this is the first time we've actually like been on a on a Zoom or a video call. Uh, together, uh, hopefully soon, uh, you know, in person for, you know, some other uh, circumstances. But, you know, good to have you on the podcast and uh, have the opportunity to uh, uh, to speak with you and learn more about your, your business. Obviously, I've been uh, getting some snippets through the, the founder membership of how well you're, you're doing and uh, uh, the value you add to the other, the other founders, which is, uh, which is great. But uh, Oliver, actually, look, why don't we start, um, you know, first of all, First of all, telling us a little bit about yourself. Like we always like to start with that, you know. So, who is uh, Oliver Pinson Roxborough? Yeah, well, maybe maybe I should keep into the, the business side of things for the, for the to start with. But um, yeah, I, I guess it's probably useful to understand my background. So, um, and how I came about. You know, we, we came about founding uh, Defense.com. So, um, you know, I've, I've been in the cybersecurity industry for over 20 years and I've done all manner of different things in, in that time. You know, I, I sort of started out actually doing a lot of penetration testing. So we have a, a concept in most people are probably aware of pen testing these days. Well, at least I hope, I hope people on, the, on this this, um, this podcast would be, uh, which is that we're essentially ethically hacking organizations networks and helping them to understand, you know, how they can protect themselves. So I sort of started out doing that, you know, breaking into building societies uh, legitimately, obviously. Um, you know, doing things like uh, allowing, uh, you know, social engineering people, um, you know, 
bribing people to gain access to buildings and once in, then trying to get access to sensitive information and data and then take that information back and report it back to people. So I sort of started out very much in that area of just seeing where people's cybersecurity challenges were. Um, and then, of course, as my career progressed, sort of worked in, in, in lots of other organizations, uh, large uh, uh, American-based cybersecurity companies, um, sort of helping out to grow uh, markets uh, in, in, in EMEA and places like that. Um, and so, so my background has really been in, in cybersecurity and you know, the, the introduction to business really came about um, through that, that, that networking with businesses and people that sort of led me to, to where we are, are now. And it probably does sort of dive into a bit more detail around where Defence.com is at today and, and how that all came about in the story of Defence.com. So um, we, could, we could sort of get into a bit more detail of, of the business itself. But yeah, ultimately, that's really been my background and from the very beginning. Um, I've always had that kind of... Um, uh, customer engagement as well so a lot of my roles have been evangelists or going out and talking to clients and sort of helping to understand where their pains were and their challenges and those sorts of things so it was that kind of natural affinity with understanding cybersecurity and trying to help solve problems and solve challenges for businesses um, and so that's what really got me excited about you know, the cybersecurity industry because it was that you know that businesses really needed it didn't really understand how to solve solve the problems and that's sort all of led to where I am right where I am today and I'm still very passionate about cybersecurity as a whole you know just really talking about helping people and businesses and it's it's a, obviously a pretty hot topic these days um, and people still aren't quite getting it right which does pay me a little bit given that I've been spending 20 years trying to help people to do it better um, but yeah that's I guess me in a nutshell. Awesome uh, uh, thanks for that and so you're the CEO we haven't had that many um, I'm sure we've had, probably had a couple but CEO of two companies uh, you know on the show uh, Bulletproof and Defense.com uh, maybe judging by the .com, defense.com is the, the, the SaaS product and, and Bulletproof is a services product, right? Uh, so tell us a little bit more, like, how have you, you know, come into the role as to be CEO of two companies? You know, why would you do that to yourself? Is it actually, you know, not a problem at all? Um, and, uh, yeah, just a little bit more about that. Uh, it would be good to get the story. Yeah, um, um, kind of from punishment, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the, that comes back to the history. So, um in my early career, I was going out and seeing organizations to try and help them to start out their journey in cybersecurity. And, and, and I actually met my co-founder, Mark, uh, who's also um, part of the uh, of the network as well. And he actually introduced me into SASTOC. Um, he said, you know, I've, I've joined the joined this network and you should get, get on it because it's a it's great to sort of share information with others and all those sorts of things. And we'll, we'll sort of talk a bit about our circle because I think we've got a really good circle mm-hmm. already and we can chat about that a bit later on. But um, so... Um, I really I met Mark when he had this kind of idea of bulletproof. Um, and uh, initially, Mark well, Mark's a serial, entre- serial entrepreneur, um, and he um, he's I met him to sort of talk about how he could implement cybersecurity into some of the services and companies that he was providing. And um, we, I made him an impression on Mark, and then a few years later, he contacted me and said, "Hey, I'd really like you to help uh, help grow bulletproof and and join join the team." And so we we eventually he actually uh, in the very early stages I said no because I was actually working for a new company and I had this kind of new strategy of going out and and learning a bit more about some of the other areas of cybersecurity but he he wore me down in the end and um, I joined joined him and we when we first talked about what we wanted to do with with Bulletproof it was very much really focused on helping to solve you know enterprise problems for enterprise customers and that was really our big core focus because we were providing these consulting services so Again, penetration testing and consulting, like general data protection consulting and ISO and, and all these sort of very um, enterprise type services. But as we got to talking, we started talking a lot about small businesses. And we said, you know what, there's, there's a real market for the small businesses because they don't really know what they should be doing in cybersecurity. 
And they need a lot more guidance. They just almost need a business to sort of come to them and say, right, here's a product. This thing will solve a lot of your cybersecurity problems in one go. Uh, and that's where we, we, we founded Defense.com because we got into this conversation of like, we could absolutely make this a SaaS product. We could make it really, really affordable for the small business. Uh, we could develop it in such a way that you could make it easily um, uh, managed uh, irrespective of your experience, your knowledge, your technical ability and your understanding of cybersecurity. And we could really drive it towards the business owner because then you could go to a business owner and say, right, cybersecurity is difficult. You should be doing something about it. We've got a SaaS product that would help you do that. Um, and then we had this kind of, I guess, this um, this view that we would build this um, technology that would be like have a product-led growth strategy and then would kind of drive you know, the, the growth within that product. And, and that's obviously where we came up with Defense.com. Uh, and we spent three years actually trying to build Defense.com out. Um, and we really didn't want to release it too early. You know, our, our idea was that, you know, let's just keep it under the radar. And we've got this kind of great services business going along anyway. And it was sort of growing uh, quickly. Like we were experiencing sort of 87% growth year on year. And we thought, you know what, actually, let's just keep this thing under the radar a little bit before we get it out to market. And I guess, you know, we, we'll probably talk about it a little bit later on. But it's, I guess it's counterintuitive to some of the traditional SaaS approach where you sort of get it out there as an MVP and, and sort of um, see how it goes and then grow it over time. But we've sort of felt that, we didn't want to release too early because we didn't want to get into a situation where, you know, the, the, the product would would be found out by other technology providers and we'd almost miss, miss the boat. Um, so, yeah, so essentially they're kind of complementary, right? You know, so so managing it as a CEO and, and taking on these two different two different two different brands, these two different entities um, is, is relatively um, straightforward because a lot of what we do in Defense.com has come out of the what we do within bulletproof and of course the bulletproof yeah. side we've, we've built a really strong team around us that sort of helps to, to to grow that part of the business and continue to to, to, to keep that sort of stable growth within that space and then defense.com product really complements and delivers a lot of extra value to those services so um they're um they're very they work well together and it means that um we, we use the same team uh, teams as well um and we've sort of grown the company from 30 people, like 20, 30 people in our early stages in the first year. And it's a five-year-old five year, five year old company now to 130 30 people now that we are today. And so we've seen quite a significant growth. And, and a lot of that is obviously to service both both sides of the business. And and um, But yeah, we can certainly talk about uh, that as well around the, our decisions around growing the team and, and how fast we grew the team and, and those sorts of things. Could, could you, uh, have you thought about rolling it into like one company um and you have the SaaS, and then you have the services kind of you know element of it but the yeah SaaS is the main company yeah definitely we we talk a lot about it um you know it's almost like you know bulletproof has built such a really strong brand for and this is the other thing just to give yeah. you a bit of i guess a bit of background for, for everybody is that um we um we very much focused on the uk in the very beginning and that was always our our, our strategy was that let's let's build out of the uk and let's build up a print over here and, and build a really strong brand for ourselves in, in the uk and then the idea would then to, to expand and grow out and obviously defense.com was the mechanism to grow globally um because as you can imagine as a services business just kind of scale resources all around the world and um, it's a it's a tricky thing to do um uh, really well so we we always had that plan that defense.com would be that that would be the, the way to kind of leverage you know the the services we've got and grow globally by sort of providing it through the SaaS platform. Um, but we're just always very nervous about the brand, right? We've built such a strong brand in the UK around bulletproof to suddenly just lose that overnight, you know, and to a completely rebranded defense.com. The other challenge, of course, is you've got a very SaaS based product that you're exp- selling to clients and positioning it to, to businesses as a SaaS product, and then you've got a very consulting led. Um, business on the other side and you know you line up with enterprise people maybe seeing a SaaS brand and 
does that really work? And they want to know, they want to see an enterprise um, focus rather than a SaaS focus. So yeah. again, getting that balance right has always been a bit of a, a, a we, we're still learning. And I think we, we, yeah. we still we still see there's an opportunity for us to do it, you know, to, to do the switch to defense.com, but we're not going to do it in a rush you know we're gonna we're gonna do it over time and, and, and work out um, and hopefully essentially what happens is the SaaS brand will just over, outgrow um, but yeah. anyway and we'll, we'll just naturally just make that make that switch yeah i think i mean I'm, I'm sure there are many case studies that you're aware of that have done you, you know the, the the similar thing obviously one i can think of about is uh price intelligently and profit well uh where they had the uh, services business which was like professional services around um, you know how how to price your SaaS products, and uh, you know amongst the best in the business uh, uh, around that. And I think we are aiming that at probably sort of mid to large size sort of SaaS companies, um, you know, six figure uh, type sort of like deals, uh, and having a very kind of healthy, I think like ten million dollar, you know, sort of like business there, and then a, a, a free uh, SaaS product or a freemium kind of like SaaS product that was aimed, you, you know. Uh, at the the kind of the earlier stage sort of startups, but seeing now they've kind of rolled the the price intelligently into the ProfitWell brand, and I think price intelligently might be a product of ProfitWell now. But uh, uh, yeah, maybe Patrick Campbell is one to uh, uh, speak to there for just um, you know some advice uh, around that. Uh, certainly, it can help uh, uh, with that. Um, you know, when the time is right. So, yeah. um, and you, you mentioned like fast growth. Um, well, of course, you know both companies, which is great. So obviously. Hmm. Uh, you're doing something right. Your team, you, you know, uh, uh, are doing something very right there. Um, around the the SaaS company, obviously, we, we take more of a focus yeah. on that, given our audience is yeah. mostly SaaS, although there might be a lot of people that are in the services businesses kind of doing a similar kind of path, like, you know, doing a SaaS on the side or thinking about uh, doing a SaaS product. But uh, around the SaaS company, what sort of metrics can you share in just in terms of where you are uh, right now? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, you've got to remember as well that some of our traditional um, t- um, services were also sort of MRR-based services. We kind of have already had that kind of journey to, to providing MRR. Um, it wasn't always just kind of day rate services, but of course, a large portion of our revenue was day rate. You know, I would say you know, 60, 70 percent maybe of our revenue at one point in time was was day rate business. And then the rest was sort of MRR-based business, uh, MRR-based services, which we then continued to grow. But in October, we launched Defense.com. So that's kind of when we did the launch on Defense.com. So the growth within the company for the for the staff that we've got, you know, a lot of that was actually predating the launch um, of Defense.com because we wanted the custom success teams in place. We wanted the, the right uh, marketing strategy. We wanted the right sales strategy um, for, the, for the product once it, once it launched. Um, so we, we had that strategy to kind of um, hire early, which is why we had the, the staff already pre-October really to, to start really pushing the product out into market. And since then, we've, we've sort of soft launched with a view that we would then start really promoting the product. And that's solely how we would then go on to deliver our services. And even the day rate services we now offer through, the, you know, our MRR-based service through Defense.com. So customers kind of buy it and they utilize the platform to then re-engage and deliver our services through that, that technology. So, we're yeah, we're $12 million um, in revenue, and uh, of which uh, 800K of that um, dollars is, is MRR now. And the switch has really pretty much transitioned from being you know, 60, 70% revenue um, split between day rate and, and the kind of MRR-based services now to moving purely to the kind of SaaS and MRR-based models, moving almost the other way around. So we're probably 60, 40 split, uh, maybe a little bit better than that now um, with that. So, yeah, it's been an interesting one because you are going back to traditional clients and saying, you know, we've got this great defense.com SaaS product. Uh, we can offer you a whole load of extra features on top of the services we provide you today. 
and um, you can still get the same the same sort of service, the same the same consulting if you want it um, through the defence.com platform. But you get all the added value of it being delivered in this new way, um, and also obviously all the functionality that comes with defence.com complements a lot of the things that we were already doing. So it's a pretty natural kind of evolution, really, for them to start taking on services through this kind of SaaS model. Um, and uh, obviously, a lot of the technology which we've added to to, to the to the solution um, has led to obviously additional customers asking for more services and more technology. Um, or you know, either way, right? You know, some of them have, have traditionally just done consulting services with us, and now, now have started using the, the SaaS product and really started to add more to and use more of those features. And likewise, the other way around. Um, so actually, um, a few of the guys in my my uh, circle, we also talk about this that. They've got a similar model where they start with like a SaaS product and they sell consulting services on top. So you want to say like, look, I've got this product, so I can deliver it to you. Um, but if you need help to get it up and running or you need help to do additional things with the product, you can buy um, services um, in addition to that. So we've had a lot of conversations in our own circle around, you know, what's the right model, you know, on what works well. And, and especially if you do still see there's a, you know, a sensible um, approach to, to, to that kind of consuming that revenue or getting that revenue in and maintaining that. And why would you not um, do that? You know, you, you want to keep that revenue. So why not kind of bake it into the service or find a way to still continue to deliver that to customers? Before we go into the next question, Oliver, you mentioned uh, circles, you talked about circles yep. uh, a few times, just for, for those that are listening who, who might not know what, uh, what circles are. Uh, these are the founder circles, which are the peer groups within the founder membership where, we bring groups of founders that are at a similar kind of revenue stage, go-to-market model, um, you know, whether they're venture-backed, bootstrapped, uh, geography, et cetera, and, and put them together in, in monthly uh, sort of like peer groups where you get together and talk about, you know, how you can kind of grow your businesses uh, and help each other out. So just putting that uh, context out there because... Uh, some people might not uh, necessarily sort of understand. So, but we'll probably go right, at the end, talk a little bit more about the SaaS founder membership. But again, for any founders kind of listening, that hopefully may be interesting uh, for them uh, as we haven't talked about it sort of too much uh, uh, before. But um, so we talked about uh, some of the metrics uh, and, and where you're at at the moment. What about um, raising capital? Um, you know, have you done it? Are you doing it at the moment? Um, what's the, uh, you know, you're planning to be bootstrapped. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we haven't we haven't to to date. Um, we've been bootstrapped and sort of really done. We've grown through sort of organic growth and and sort of um, you know uh, funding in through founders. Um, but um, yeah, we are now looking at it. Um, and the reason for it is because we want to grow internationally. Um, like I say, we've we've dabbled a little bit. So we've we've done some some uh, we've we've built out a team in the US. Um, not a massive team, but we've built a, a team in the US. I think we did about a million dollars in the first year without really trying, just to to test the market out to see what's what's out there and, and how can we do it um but obviously in those especially in those markets like the us we didn't really want to go in there without too much of a a budget to really go and and, and do it well uh, and do it in the right way so uh, yeah the strategy is now to do our series a um to raise some money to enable us to do that growth um, mainly investment still in r&d and sort of marketing the product and getting the brand out there because you know especially defense.com it's a very new brand um it, not a lot of people know about it yet um, and also, we've obviously been learning a lot about, you know, what really is the market looking for right now? You know, like I said, we sort of started out thinking, well, we can go over this small business um, uh, product for small businesses. But we've actually found that the market at the moment that's a really hot market is uh, where you've got sort of a, a small to medium uh, sort of enterprise type um, company that's between you know, 100 and 1,000 employees is, is really our sweet spot. So 
in order to really hit that market and, and especially going into places like the US, you've got to have enough money to really do it well. So we felt that, yeah. that, that it was the right time. Um, and again, we'll talk about it a bit later on, but that's the one for real lessons learned for, for us is that you kind of almost want to be in that position when the, when, it, when it's right to, when the, when, when, when the iron's hot, you want to strike, right? So um, yeah, that, that's one thing that we, we, we feel like we, we probably could have done a bit better, but again, we'll sort of cover it, but I guess it, a bit later on around those things. But yeah, so right now it's, it's about looking at raising uh, money. We started that um, beginning of the year. Um, and it's been a it's been a fairly slow process actually. Um, more more to find the right people for us, you know, yeah. the right the right investors, the right uh, the, the 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 and the right way of approaching it really. Um, that's going to work well for us as a, as a company, um, and also to, to get get the valuations right and things like that. You know, with where where we want and and what's going to really help us to to grow. And there's still a yeah, it's still a decision to be made. You know, do we do we just um, play out for a little bit longer and and raise a bit later on? And you know, so we've had a we've had a had a good good go at it so far and um yeah we're still um we're still plugging away at it and, and see how we go i mean obviously well reading listening a lot about the uh i guess the markets at the moment you know in terms of uh we've had a couple of crazy years right and uh investing in in SaaS companies um and now when we look at it you know public market um uh, you know, companies' valuations have like dropped uh, significantly, and and then you know on the private market, you know VCs are being a lot more kind of cautious, and I think founders are are, are not you know necessarily getting the valuations that whether it's that they they want or whether perhaps they expected from what's been happening you know, sort of recently. Uh, some advice I was listening to another podcast where uh, they said, well, look, you know, if you have enough cash in the bank for the kind of the next eighteen months. Um, you know, try and just ride it out, you know, as, as long as possible and then raise, you, you know, in 12 to 18 months time. I mean, I don't know how, how sort of dangerous that is, but is that something that you're kind of like seeing as well, like the more cautious approach uh, from VCs and, you know, you mentioned about valuations, uh, does, does it kind of back up any, any of that? Yeah, I think to some degree, I think some of it's also our own, our own experience. Neither myself or Mark, you know, have, have previously raised, uh, raised any money. Um, you know, Mark's had a number of successful exits, but never, never, never had the had to raise any money to, to do that. Um, and I, and I've never been through that process either. So we both sort of were learning it on the job, uh, as it were. And um, yeah, we've learned a hell of a lot. I mean, I, I would definitely say, like in, in that period, you know, we've we've learned a, a lot that's kind of really, uh, you know, driven us to doing things differently in the company um, uh, and, and preparing ourselves a bit better. And, and like I said, it's more really to, to be able to be in a position there where if something is the right time to do it, then we have everything we need to, to make to, to make that happen. And um, so, yeah, so it's, it's been a, a bit of an, an interesting um, an interesting journey from that perspective. And I think it's just more just expectation on the valuation ourselves. You know, we, we just have this, this idea in mind of, of how much money we felt that we needed to, to really do the, the do the right the, the right growth and and also just the approach um each each investor is slightly different you know um some are more expecting you to take that money and and uh, make the most out of it and others are sort of expecting you to raise a lot quicker and it really comes down to what the expectation is uh, from the from the investor um as to, as to how that journey would 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 play out but like i say i mean our our, our idea was always to, to raise the money and then you know, spend a few years um, trying to grow out the business and, and more that we, we didn't have to think about raising money every single year. You know, it wasn't that sort of growth. But then, like I say, some investors say, no, no, we expect you to. We, we want you to be quickly moving into your Series B. 
um, raising another ton of money and then going and, 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 and um, using that to do the next round of growth. So we had to build a model to be able to do that. And we had a, we have a strategy that will enable us to, to, to do that if we if we ever wanted to. But we have really been talking to each investor independently and saying, look, we can really do it either way where you like. Our, our preference would be, you know, in a lot of cases where we would do it, uh, you know, in 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 a, in a way that we sort of make the most out of that money in, and we try and um, scale the company. Um, but of course, you know, if, if that's not not the way to, to, to grow the business, then uh, we would definitely entertain uh, the, the other approach. It just means we we, we change our model a little bit. Um, yeah. yeah, you're right. It is. It's, I think it is just a generally a much trickier market to looking at it now than it was maybe six six um, even as as short as six months ago. Well, uh, well, good luck with it. Um, you know, I'm sure you'll find the right uh, approach uh, for you and uh, you know plenty of other uh, you know founders uh, to to speak to that have got that experience that you can uh, you know kind of uh, pick their brains and um, you know, see what's happening. But I definitely you you know seeing a real kind of if you go down I don't know a traditional kind of venture capital route, I, I would expect as you said like. Uh, you raise your Series A, then the clock is ticking. They want you to kind of raise that Series B, uh, you, you know, within like 12 to 18 months, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, sooner, and then it's the C, and then you, you're kind of on that path, right? Mm. But we are we are seeing, you know, some uh, like different examples, companies like I think like Supermetrics and uh, Lemlist, uh, I, I think, for, for instance, where, uh, you know, they've raised, uh, you know, a good amount of money from like more like uh, growth uh, sort of like funds where they've taken secondaries and then you know also then you know uh, put a bit of money in, into the business but don't necessarily have that then pressure to you know it's not a series a or a b but it's giving them that extra capital to kind of take the business to the next level and kind of almost in some ways still remain you know viewed as bootstrapped uh, despite taking uh, yeah. uh, quite a bit of money but there, there are you know kind of different options uh, uh, out there for sure for founders um, uh, that, are, that are listening um so I guess it depends whether you want to build that hundred million dollar business and have the the ticking clock uh, and do it in that way, or build a hundred million dollar business but kind of just do it, you know, without that kind of added pressure to yeah. constantly be raising. Um, yeah, exactly. But, yeah. Um, so look, uh, looking at obviously in, in terms of your revenue, you're you're doing you know extremely well. You know, had, had very fast growth. What would you say are the kind of the three to five key steps that you know the business has taken in, in defense.com's case that have enabled you to to kind of get where you are today yeah you know i, I guess it's nothing too too um too or inspiring you know with what we've done i think we've sort of just done the the um the, the, the traditional things just really well i, I think we we one thing we did do is uh, really focus on inbound marketing we've never really done any sort of outbound marketing activities at all even even with the with bulletproof as a business that the focus was never on um on outbound marketing, we've we've done a really good job, really from the history of um, of all the, the businesses, um, certainly that that Mark's run. Um, it was always a focus on inbound marketing, doing a really good job of digital marketing, focusing on SEO and PPC, um, and and really driving forward the growth of the company through using that as a method. Um, we obviously did do a lot of brand awareness um, activities, um, uh, going to sort of big events and um, to sort of build the brand for for, for, for Bulletproof. But um, obviously with Defense.com going to physical events and doing those sorts of traditional brand awareness activities that you would do as a cybersecurity company sort of fell out the window really quickly uh, yeah. when, we, when we were sort of pretty much ready to launch that product. Um, so we still sort of stuck to the inbound marketing strategy, but obviously as we've grown and got to a slightly larger scale, we've then started to look at, well, okay, where do we get the, the next uh, round of 
uh, of, of leads and, and customers from. And obviously, the model is very different for a SaaS product, as you would imagine for a um, uh, for a consulting uh, company. Um, but again, still very much reliant on inbound marketing, and then starting to top that up with outbound marketing. And of course, for Defense.com, the big focus is now on brand and, and how do we grow the brand within a, a, a much larger scale. Um, so that's kind of, I guess, number one was always to focus on the marketing. We did actually um, build out a, a sales team pretty early on, um, and that's grown to a fairly significant part of our business now. Um, so we've, we've really grown out the, the sales team. Um, and the reason for that is actually that cybersecurity is quite a tough sell. Um, if you, you don't generally just go to a cybersecurity company and just buy a product. You, you kind of want to be sold to. You want to understand, well, why should I go with you? And I've got to build some confidence in this company, especially for some of the things we're doing with Defense.com because we're proactively monitoring these organizations' environments. We're, they're trusting us with a lot of data and trusting us to be the early warning signs for them. So, and those products are generally quite complicated, um, and that's why Defense.com was built to simplify those things. Um, so, you don't tend to just buy them off you know, off the shelf and just go with it. I mean, AV and products like that, people did, right? You just kind of bought an AV, you know, whatever the, the, the big brand was at the time, and you'd start using those those solutions in your business. Um, but generally speaking, you, you do need a sort of a sales led approach initially, and that's where we've started with Defense.com. So we built the sales team to help with that sales-led approach. We did try a product-led approach very early on, um, and it kind of is working. You know, we're bringing in um, trial customers, we're getting them into the platform, but you just seem to get a better conversion on those um, those trials if you're getting a sales-led approach. So we've now moved to a, a pretty typical of most SaaS products I've seen recently, where it's a you know a demo or a, a kind of an in, a, a more of an interaction with with a person before you then land into the product and then start using the, using the product itself. Um, but like I say, the, the strategy is still to to try and I wouldn't necessarily say with the first, but to to sort of really be one of the first, very few sort of security companies really worked out how to do the product led growth thing well. Um, yeah. We've got a few ideas that we're working on right now to to do that. Uh, like I said as well, the other thing that we we decided to do was to. Um, not go down the route of actually sticking out an MVP product in front of our customers and then um, iterating fast. We decided to build first. We spent three years building Defense.com, like I said. And then the idea was that once it's out there, we'd start to iterate it, listening to our customers and sort of building on what we already knew they needed. Because again, in the cybersecurity space, most people have a rough idea of what they need, uh, but we wanted to be the um, leading them in the right direction of what the things are they absolutely need to, to, to help grow their business and to, to, to win more, more more customers themselves. So we felt like, right, okay, let's build the products we know that the organizations need. And then once we're ready, we'll launch it to those customers. Again, you want confidence as well from as a security product. You don't want to put out there a rubbish product that doesn't really you know, help you. Um, so that was the idea there. And then I think probably the last uh, the last couple of things that I would say have been it's been our sort of focus is to, to bring on um, and I think it's worked really well is, is to bring on a few strategic roles ahead of the curve. Like we actually brought in customer success. I think I felt like way ahead of what we probably needed to do uh, do that with the product line. Um, but again, it was just we didn't want to ruin the experience. You know, we wanted to be seen as innovative in the space, and we didn't want customers to hit the platform and just not know what to do with it um, because we are dealing with quite complex. And problems, um, you know, it's not as straightforward as just jumping into the platform and, and where you go in, in some of the in some of the features of the SaaS products. You've got to do a bit more configuration before you can get the real value out of them. So, we just wanted to make sure that that went really smoothly and we could support our customers uh, quickly uh, in the platform. So, I think for me, it's kind of like laying down those foundations and, and not rushing it too much. Um, 
but I think we we absolutely probably we, we could have done. We probably could hit the market a bit earlier, and maybe yeah, we would be on our raise by now because we would have been out there into the market and a bit further forward, and we probably would hit the last year when every other cybersecurity company was getting billion dollar valuations. You know, right. um, so yeah. Well, where where are they now? I don't know, but uh, yeah, exactly. I know in a lot of companies that raised last year, they're, they're certainly the valuations are, are, are down, yeah, uh, and are having some challenges. Um, but no, I really appreciate sharing that and some of your good stuff. You say like, even though like as you said, maybe some of it is not necessarily foundation, uh, foundation, or it is foundational, but not necessarily you know anything groundbreaking. Uh, but I think it's you know important for for people to just listen and kind of learn. That hey look you know we're doing inbound marketing and that's what we did you know and it works right and then inbound marketing is not necessarily new but to kind of you know get that uh, reiteration you know emphasis that hey look this is an approach that we took it, it might not actually be you know the right approach for other companies but mm-hmm. doing all these things and doing them together you know this kind of really helped us uh, you, you know grow the business to where it is today so mm-hmm. uh, I appreciate sharing that and what about yourself as a um, as a CEO oh, look uh, twice. Uh, sort of over, but how have you learned uh, to become a good CEO? Yeah, I, I I think my problem has always been, you know, as I say, my kind of history has been very much involved in cybersecurity. So I, I fit, still feel like I'm way too involved in a lot of things. Um, and I, I would say that's pretty typical of most founders, I would say. Um, I found it, you know, it was a bit of an epiphany, you know, that somebody said you should be working more on the business um, uh, rather than in the business. But I still find that really hard, you know, to get out of that with the weeds. You know, you just feel like you're firefighting a lot. And I think there is still that escalation point that, you know, somebody wants to get something done. You end up being that guy, right, that they, they, they bring you in. You know, even internally, you know, sometimes there's escalations need to happen. And people will just say to me, well, if I don't get you involved, then I know things won't happen, um, which is obviously a problem to fix. Right. I mean, that's a problem for me to fix and say, well, that should never be happening. So it's always been that struggle, um, you know, to get that balance right. And um I think the one probably the biggest lessons learned is actually thinking about it from, a, from the point of view of once you get to a certain size of organization, you start to realize that the things that you do yourself, your day to day tasks have uh, an almost um, immaterial um, impact in comparison to what you can do if you share and support the organization. You know, there's much, you know, it's that many hands make light work type strategy, but you've always got that head thing in your mind that if I do it myself, I'll do it really well or you know, if I do it now, it's kind of quick and I can get it done or, hey, I've had this really cool idea. I'm going to go chase it down myself because you've kind of got that founder that founder approach where you think I could probably build this thing in a matter of minutes. But the reality is that, you know, if you if you if you put that to your team then you both support your team and you also get it done a lot quicker than you probably think in your head that you can do it yourself. And it's going to be much more product, you know, and, and, and company, you know, and, and, and customer ready if you don't try and do it yourself. So I think that's been the one thing that really... um has made me think, you know, motivating myself more to sort of helping the the individuals and watching them and seeing the impact of what, what that does to your team rather than trying to sort of um, address all your tasks. I mean, it's, it's massively frustrating. You sit there in a day and you, you, you take that approach where you help everybody that sort of comes to you and you don't try to get involved too much in those things, but you never get around to your tasks that you set yourself. Um, and you kind of almost in the back of your mind, you're thinking, is this just slowing down the company because I'm not doing those tasks and not getting those things done? But what you don't realize is the, like I say, the impact you're having on the rest of the business by being more involved in supporting them and letting them get on with it. So I'm, I'm still a bit in the weeds and I need to sort of take myself out of it. Um, and um, yeah, I know that's definite, a definite area where you, you, you got to learn fast. And, it, you know, you, when you think about it, you know, with, 
you know, in the future, you know, as a you know, however big this company gets, you can just imagine that, you know, somebody with 5,000 staff, um, as a 5,000 staff CEO, your strategy, your, your approach has got to be that because there's just no way you're going to be able to address the, the tasks that you need to address at that stage. So definitely, yeah. definitely that, that for me. Um, I mean, one thing that we I felt that really worked really well, and we introduced this quite early on, is to be very transparent with our with our employees. And that's been hard to maintain. You know, we, we do um, quarterly business reviews where we get online and do it virtually. And we, re- we basically bring all the main, um, the, main, um, uh, the main leaders in the team and the managers, and we get them to talk about each of their departments. And we'd be, we're very transparent about what we're doing. You know, we explain that we're raising money or we talk about uh, the wins and the, and the losses and the, the failures and the successes and all those sorts of things in order to make sure that there is that transparency. Um, and it really came about because as we started to grow, we noticed that more and more people you know, you weren't really sitting around the table with them anymore and they were losing sight of what was going on and you kept hearing this, well, I didn't know about that and I didn't know about this. So we've been, we've tried to maintain that um, small company culture um, and removing barriers to leadership. I think that's the one thing when you grow, you get to 130 people and it, you want to make sure that you can still get hold of me and you still want to be able to talk to all the, the directors and uh, the, the managers without feeling like, you know, you have to go through like your own manager or your team lead or, or anything like that. So making sure they remove that those barriers to getting getting hold of us and and I still do every single every single um, employee that joins I still do a, an intro call with them I do a face to face and that comes across really well and works really well because I get to understand them a bit better and, and they get to know that I'm there for them if they need me and I provide support for them if they ever, ever need that support and um, and that's been one thing that's sort of helped to grow the culture that we wanted to grow throughout and so I think mainly it's those those things really that's I've found relatively challenging um, to, to kind of keep that keep that up, but we, I think that we're doing a pretty good job in, in most areas. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I'm nodding my head along. Like, I can resonate to uh, you know working on the business rather than in the business. I think a lot of people, a lot of founders, can, and that's kind of the the aspiration. But easier said than done, and you keep kind of, you know get getting sucked back in. Um, you, you know, so uh, definitely resonate with that. And uh, yeah, I think you know a lot of things that you're doing around. Know, the transparency and you know speaking with all the, the new hires as well is uh, uh you know all good stuff um so um yeah no definitely seems to doing uh you know a lot of the right things and uh, aspiring to to get to you know being in that position of of working on on the business and, and getting out of the weeds um if you, if you could go back to when you joined the business from what you know now what advice would you give yourself yeah it's very topical at the moment obviously with the raise but I would probably be, that would be my main core focus. And it would be things like, um, not necessarily that we needed to do it, you know, when we need, you know, it's not, you know, by any means desperation to do it, but it's just a case of planning way more in advance. We kind of said, hey, do we think we should go raise some money and actually launch Defense.com and take this thing to the the next level, like, you know, next year? Like, what do we think? And we we sat down and we said, well, yeah, I think it's the right time. Um, The product's ready. I think we can go do this thing. Um, and then realized how much effort and how much work it goes into doing this, you know, and, and how much um, frog kissing you got to do before you get to, 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 the, to the right people. And, and then all the due diligence on top of that. Um, so we've kind of got this mindset now, um, which I'd sort of advocate to any, any founder that you've got this strategy that you should always be in the position where you're ready to sell your business if you really wanted to. Not because you've got aspirations to sell it necessarily, but just that's the types of information that they want to know if you're trying to raise money. And maybe there is a scenario where you should just suddenly think, you know what, actually, it's a good time to sell. And I've got other projects, other things I want to move on to. And, um, you know, maybe fell out of love with the, whatever project you're working on that time. You know, having all that data ready to go 
just saves you a, a massive headache. And I will say one of the things well around um, investors, I hope there's not too many investors going to be listening on on this call, but there might they, be. <laughs> they always ask you the same questions, but in a slightly different way. And they want the data just slightly different. It's pretty much exactly the same question, but no, no, they want to see it in this other way that the last investor asked the same question and asked it slightly differently. So we've been very focused on being a data-driven company. And before this, actually, we kind of, we sat down at, uh, during one of our board meetings and said, you know what, we really need to get a good handle on our key metrics. Let's just get as much data as we can from everything, you know, from how much time do we, you know, our, our team's being utilized and how's the platform performing, uh, um, you know, where are our leads coming from, you know, any any information that we can get, we're, we're building into um, a data lake that we can then use with a Power BI um, product and we've got actually we, we brought in a, a data analyst fairly early on to say right we want to be that data driven company so when we went round to do our uh, looking at doing our race we actually just provide a, a power bi dashboard and we just say right here's our whole pnl uh, and then we just expose it directly to them through power bi and they can just cut the data out they want if they need to export the data they can um and so that's kind of the early stages of um building out your um uh, data room but not to the le- that level of detail. It's pretty much just you, you're paying it P&L and a few other bits and pieces. And then what we were doing is as we were getting asked new questions like, okay, what about NRR? You know, we'd then be pulling NRR uh, dashboards in and then being able to share that through the same mechanism. So we just go back to them and say, right, we've added the NRR to the BI dashboard, away you go. Um, so we've done well, but I think, and we had that data very early on. I think it's just the, the point of, it took us a little while to get to all those things they wanted. Then they were like, okay, what's your budget look like? And then we said, well, we've got an organic budget and then we've got our aspirational budget. And so we added those to the system. And so by the time you're talking to, you know, your fourth, fourth, fifth, uh, you know, maybe even um, tenth um, investor, you're already there. You know, you kind of know what they're going to ask you. You've got the data ready to go. You kind of just share it with them. Um, so I think it would have been, you know, starting off that journey, just having all that ready to go. So we could just kind of straight away share it and, there's definitely signs of that already. I mean, if you do enough reading, you'll find that, that everyone says, like, make sure you get your LTV to CAC and all that stuff ready for, for those questions. You're going to get them, know your, know your net retention, um, get your gross margin, understand your gross margin, all those sorts of things do come up anyway. Um, uh, but we just a bit naive to that in the beginning. We had the data eventually, but it was just, you know, we probably could have done a much better uh, job of getting that in earlier. Um, yeah. Um, no, good advice. Good advice yeah. there. What about looking forward... To Ten years from now, and if you you're replacing, you know, you're a hundred million dollar plus. I think in ten years you're going to be significantly bigger, right? Um, uh, and you're replacing yourself with, uh, you know, your successor moving into the chairman role. Um, anything that you would have done differently? I mean, it's you know, it's a little similar to the kind of the, the last question, but like if we're looking from now for the next kind of ten years, anything you would have done differently? Yeah, I mean, I remember, I can't remember what book it was now, but I read a book very early on that said something that was at the time quite shocking to me, but I thought, you know, actually having now um, been in that in that chair and been in the shoes was that it gets to a point where you realise that as, as, a, as a CEO, you probably need a different CEO now. Um, you get to that kind of scale where it's probably not you anymore, um, either because you just don't have the experience or maybe you're more on the founder side where you like to build stuff and you, you like to get more involved and there's people that have, have done this many times over and are going to take you from, you know, 50 to a hundred million or, you know, a hundred million to a billion dollar company or whatever that, whatever that becomes in the future. So, you know, it's always been in my mind that at some point I'm going to have to have that debate with myself. Like, is it still me or is it somebody else that we need to bring in? Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I think there is this kind of um, the feeling that I have where in 10 years time, the company is going to be much, you know, expectation is going to be a very different company. And they're definitely going to be dealing at a global scale, which we're sort of laying down the foundations for now. Um, 
and we'd need somebody to be really that focused on the business. I can't, you know, I can imagine that it'd be spending most of your time in board meetings or, you know, you're not going to be building product anymore. You're not going to be talking to the product teams. You're going to be way uh, much more uh, disconnected from that. So I think my my kind of my my advice to to myself in 10 years time is to just, you know, really understand what you want and sort of step aside for the right person is, is probably what I'd be telling myself. Because I, I know I'm, I'm kind of that competitive person as well that would probably be saying I can still do this. I should just hammer it off uh, and go for it myself. But um, you've got to you got to balance it with is that really what what you're good at and the right thing for you to be doing in the future. So it's um it's probably just um sitting myself down and having a proper chat about what is it that you want um, uh, for the for the future of the company. But ultimately, the company is the most important part in, in that journey. So uh, that's where I'll be working on. Good stuff. And uh, we, we mentioned a couple of times about, uh, I think, the beginning and in, in, in the middle that you, you joined the SaaS.Founder membership. Yeah. Um, and, um, you, you know, for those that, that are listening, uh, you know, we, SaaS. we launched the SaaS.Founder membership last year. It was kind of like product of, uh, you know, coming out of COVID, thinking about how do we deliver value online to SaaS founders and, you know, bring them together. Um, and, and really what we're looking to build is the, the best support network for B2B SaaS founders globally doing this through, um, you know, peer groups, networking, you know, education. Uh, you yourself, why did you join, um, you know, and, and what is the value that you received so far? Yeah, I mean, you know, it was it was a suggestion from my uh, co-founder. He said, you know, I've joined, I, mean, I can't even remember why Mark came about it, but um, he said to me, look, I've joined this this thing and it's really good. You, you really enjoy it, actually. And, and I think it was more you know, the enjoyment of listening to other, about, about other people's businesses, but Personally, from my point of view, it was more that, you know, first time um, co-founder that I thought, you know, I probably do need to just talk to somebody other than my, my, my co-founder, you know, to get a different perspective on things. Obviously, you talk to people within the business, but there are slightly different, yeah. uh, slightly different challenges to what you talk about as a co-founder. Uh, and they're great because my, the circle's brilliant because they, they, they hold you to account. You know, at the end of each of our circles, we talk about what do we want to be, what do we want to have got done by the next one? Um, and we, we know that we're going to come into that into that uh, that next uh, circle, and they're going to be grilling us on whether we did it or not, and why we didn't do it. And so, they, first and foremost, they're holding you to account. Which there's not many people out there that, when you're in the position that we're in as founders, that are holding you to account aside from your yeah. co-founder and, and maybe your staff to some degree. Um, and yeah, they do. They don't. Um, they don't mince words either. You know, if they think you're doing something wrong, they'll they'll definitely hold you to to account to it, and they'll tell you if they think you're doing it wrong, and they'll give you great ideas and suggestions and. Likewise, you can throw it back on them when you when you sort of look at some of the things they're doing and give them advice. But ultimately, the best thing about it is that um, you can talk honestly with each other. You know, nobody's you know going to chastise you for doing the wrong thing. You know, they they know that they've been through the same the same problems, and yeah, you just get a different perspective on stuff. And yeah, we talk about all different things. You know, you, you, you get into or, or you know, we've been talking about uh, more recently just about how to position the products online, um, or you know, where do I how do I build you know, this next product. Um, I mean, even, even actually just generally on the network, I've had a few people reach out and say, hey, you mentioned on the chat that you've um, integrated with third party partners and we've just uh, set up a call and had a chat and I've explained what we did and how it worked with us and, and gave them some ideas and things like that that they could take away as, and, and support each other. So I think that's the main thing. It's just the support um, that you've got that's, that, that other set of ears that, that can you can sound ideas out to and, and they, they can say whether well, they've done it before or you know, or, or share some ideas that you, you can use to, to maybe trial and, and do things differently. So that's really been the, the main the main thing. And it has helped us sort of drive towards some decisions that we were maybe debating and procrastinating about a little bit. Great. Well, I, I mean, I appreciate you sharing that. And we, we appreciate you being a, a great SaaS.Founder member uh, as well. So, I mean, any 
founders that are, uh, are listening that want to make it, you know, a less lonely, um, you, you know, kind of like job and uh, looking at potentially kind of growing faster with the support of other founders, then, uh, you know, hopefully uh, the SASL founder membership can really add value uh, to you. And uh, um, as, as we come to, I just kind of, with the end, the end of the podcast, uh, Oliver, like where can people find you uh, online, find defense.com online, any investors that were listening uh, yeah. that will want to reach out, um, you know, where can people find you? Yeah, we spend a lot of money on all the domains. So you can pretty much get defense.com, whether it's spelled in the English way or the American way. Um, but we mainly, we're mainly in the American way. Um, so you can find defense.com just by going to defense.com. Uh, obviously, Bulletproof's so, um, uh, out there as well, bulletproof.co.uk. And, uh, but yeah, the, the best place to, uh, uh, to get in contact with me, either um, do it through SASDOC or um, the other option is to get me on LinkedIn. Um, so um, the best place is to, to find me there. Um, how, how much did you spend on the domain? Uh, a lot of money. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, I, I know some other podcast interviews that, that would really push you there, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it. But, uh, um, Oliver, really appreciate you coming on the show. Great speaking to you. Uh, look forward to speaking further, um, you know, back in the membership. But uh, thanks so much, Oliver pinson Roxburgh, uh, CEO of Defense.com and Bulletproof uh, for being on the SAS Revolution show. Cheers, Alex. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SAS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SASDoc conferences around the world.